Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. All right, so here we are on podcast number one, where we don't know where the hell we're doing. So, my name is Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. I belong to a 12-step fellowship, um, where we practice a program of 12 steps. Um, That's been my introduction to recovery. Started, had issues with addiction my entire life, starting at a really young age, from as young as I can remember, and uh, ended up finding my way into a 12-step fellowship, not by choice, more by necessity. Um, I'm here with my friend Jason, who tell you about himself. Yeah, I'm uh, Jason. I'm also in long-term recovery. Uh, very similar story of life not going so hot and and ending up uh, getting pointed in the direction of a 12-step fellowship and that working for me. And here I am. And uh, we decided we would do a somewhat recovery themed podcast where we try to talk about recovery type topics, but we'll probably just ramble on. And I think the goal here is just to make recovery topics more like, how are they applicable to life? You know, how do they apply to my life? How do I use them in a meaningful way that actually works and is practical and and realistic? Um, Because You know, it's great to talk about all this wonderful spiritual stuff, but, you know, the truth is we get into life, we get into dealing with things going on, and it's not always so easy to be honest, and it's not always so easy to, you know, be patient and tolerant and accepting of our families and our kids and ourselves, and, and, you know, so talking through some of this stuff and having just open, honest conversations about it, rather than trying to push it out there as if, life is easy and you just become the spiritual person and everything's great. Like it's just not been my experience with life or this process of recovery in general. Um, So I kind of thought today we would talk about meditation. I was thinking about meditation mostly because this week I finally started back into basically a daily process of meditation. Um, I have been meditating on a regular basis probably for about two years up until about three or four months ago. Um, I'd been, you know, found my way to meditation through looking for ways to become more emotionally aware. Um, Due to some like relationship issues with my wife, I had kind of figured out like I wasn't really emotionally aware of you know, her needs and things. So like she would have a rough day at work and come home and want to talk about it. And, you know, my immediate solution is to throw all these practical issues at her, you know, what did you tell that woman? She's a bitch. And did you, (laughs) you know, did you tell them you're not going to take that? Or did you, you know, go set them all straight or whatever. And that isn't what she wanted. What she wanted was for me to hear that she was suffering or that she had a hard day and she wanted to be nurtured and supported and and I am emotionally I'll say emotionally challenged when it comes to that stuff I'm an intellectual that turns off emotions and just you know looks for the practical solution in every situation and so doing a little bit of 
research on that, I found that this mindfulness meditation, I think sometimes I call it Vipassana meditation, was a good way to start trying to become emotionally aware. Um, so I started down a path of different versions of that and was doing that for a regular time. And then, I don't know, my experience with most things, I just got lazy one day and stopped doing it one day. And then one day turned into three days and then three days turned into, well, I don't really do that anymore. Um, so I was I'm back into it this week, actually, and this will be my third day in a row that I've meditated and, you know, just talking about it, trying to be like, man, I got to sometimes reinforce ideas in my head. You know, I, I forget why I started doing things, why I do stuff. And if I don't revisit those ideas, it's easy to let them go. And I meditated years ago regularly, really the only lengthy regular time in my life when I was miserable and struggling. And then, uh, you know, with the meditation group, we took off again. So I tried to get more into a daily routine, but we were meeting once a week and then that fell off and then I wasn't meditating at all. And now I'm kind of, I meditate on Sunday mornings and I know that every day or much more often would be better. I don't, so I don't think I could do it every other day, right? I'm not like a, oh, I'll meditate every other day guy. Cause I, if I don't do it every day, I just don't do it. Right. Um, but I do notice in here on Sunday mornings, it is tough to stay in this room in no thoughts, right? I'm all over the place. My, my, I just found out my daughter's got like a boy in her life and that's like weird me out. And then I'm like the, the water was on your phone, the nature sounds, and I'm like in a river somewhere doing some shit. And I'm like, what the hell? Why can't I just be here? And it's, I think doing it more regularly would make that easier. But I sometimes I quite like, is it only good if I do, if I'm right here? Or is it also good if I'm, you know, wandering thoughts too? Like, I, I don't want to do it wrong. Yeah. So, and, and my experience with that is it's just as, as long as I'm doing it, it's good. There's benefit, I, you know, and it, there's not a there's not a goal. When when I meditate now, and this has come from different teachings of stuff, um, I've used a couple different apps over the years. I've read a bunch of stuff about different kinds of meditations because there's all different kinds of meditations. Um, I've done a little bit of some chanting meditations, you know, which is really interesting and fascinating. Um, <laughs> for some different reasons. So, uh, and that's a kind of funny story. So a couple of years back, uh, we got involved with a, he was a meditation doctor. Of course, I think now he's been delicensed cause he was some kind of quack <laughs> fake, but he, right. he was a really nice guy <laughs> and he was really helpful. And, and so, um, he was a meditation doctor. My wife used to call him the guru or no, she used to call him Swami. She used to call him Swami, Swami. all the time. And uh, he helped people with addiction through meditation as a part of the practice of helping with addiction. And uh, it had to do with a lot of uh, chanting meditation. So he would go in depth about these different, you know, mantras that were thousands of years old and, and how these different vibrations of sounds, you know, resonated in your chakra and, you know, all that hokey kind of stuff. Holistic. But I am totally open to like, hey, this is crazy and unique and interesting. So I'm I'm all in, you know, I'm, the experience is awesome. So we went to him uh, a few different times to just, 
you know, as a family, our family went to, we took our kids there a couple of times, which I'm sure they just thought we were completely out of our minds. You know, we got our teenage kids and our young kids. And as you're meditating, like he's, you know, sets the lights in his whole office. He's got all the different, um, I forget the names of the different gods or big pictures hanging on the wall of these different Indian Hindu gods. And, you know, he's burning incense while you're in there and he, comes around and puts this dot of something on your forehead and clangs these little chimes and why this mantra is going on in the background. And then you're encouraged to do the mantra along with it, you know, while it's reciting in the background. And our kids, I mean, it they're awesome. They kind of did it and they participated and, you know, I'm sure in their minds are like, my parents are insane people. <laughs> do you feel like, and, and maybe you don't, but maybe do you feel like if somebody would get uh, his license revoked, like this guy possibly did, do you feel like that automatically discredits everything they were doing? Like if you had practiced what he showed you for the last two years since you saw him and been like, oh, my God, this stuff is great, right? And as soon as he gets delicensed, are you like, oh, man, I, that, that was bullshit. I can't do it anymore. Oh, no, not at all. I'm all in. I mean, because all of that stuff that he was teaching is that's old religion, you know, their right. version of religion you know, practices. I mean, these aren't things he didn't like make this shit up and start just selling it or whatever. He was just taking, you know, ancient religions and ancient mantras and and practices that they had used within their culture and just tried to expand that out to people in their everyday life. So maybe he just didn't need a license. His, (laughs) the licensing thing I think had to do with some, uh, I think it was insurance billing issues, uh, which, you know, I didn't know the guy on a personal level. I don't know if he was a quack or not. Right. He seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like he cared. He's written some books. I'm not going to throw his name out there, but you know, he, right. We got something out of it. You know, we, my wife went a, a long time. She went for months actually to help her quit smoking. And she had referred some friends there. And I don't think he was like, if he was causing any harm, it was like a totally unintentional and a totally, you know, minimalist. I don't think he was causing any harm to anybody. He was right. trying his his intentions were good. And what he was doing was trying to help people. But it definitely didn't fit into, you know, our modern Western society take on what we aren't we. The, are we the West or is the West? The yeah, trying, the okay. yeah, that's what I thought. They're the East. We're the, the Far East. Yeah, yeah right. Far so. <laughs> You know, it didn't fit. It definitely isn't common in our Western sensibilities of what we consider counseling or therapy or any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I don't think that we in the West got it all figured out either. (laughs) No, I what you were describing that he did uh, sounded very much like that sound bathe meditation. I was telling you, my buddy wants me to come down and go to and I was trying to sort of i don't know if you caught on but i was trying to convince you to go with me uh <laughs> on one sunday because that's it's a lot of the i missed that things. but i would go i'm oh, totally yeah. in <laughs> it's like an hour and a half and she comes around and touches you with oils apparently and does weird stuff like yeah so it's very similar to what you were talking about with the noise and the all that kind of stuff yeah and any kinds of meditation you know i'm always open to trying new stuff it's just one of those weird benefits of recovery you know has been like i don't know i'll try it you know because when i 
so I was raised Catholic and my understanding of religion was really sort of regimented and firm and, you know, very structured and, and there's all these rules right. and, you know, I was definitely not good at it. So I was like Say a I, prayer on each bead. Yeah. So, and as I got older, you know, when I was a teenager, I sort of bucked against any kind of organized religion and God and all that stuff. I just was like, it's all bull crap. None of it means anything. None of this is, this is all stupid, you know, right. and we're all just here living and the idea is just to get and live and enjoy as much of life as you can. And so of course I was into drugs and, you know, it was easy to justify a lot of my behaviors and what I was doing by saying, well, the point of life is just to get what you want and have as much fun as you can. And, Live it up to the best of your ability. Which, Hedonistic, is that what that's called? Yeah, something like that. And so, you know, my, I was never introduced to any kind of meditation or any of that stuff. When I, was, I think we might have done it in rehab once or twice. Right. You know, we might have laid there while they played whatever music and did some picture yourself floating in the clouds, you right. know, kind of crap. Where it was kind of relaxing and neat, but again, it really didn't seem practical in rehab, like, how is this going to stop me from doing heroin again? (laughs) (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't know how this thinking about floating in clouds and listening to peaceful music helps anything, but this is hard. I could shoot heroin and be in the clouds. (laughs) Right. I can easily get there without (laughs) all this work. But, uh, you know, as I'm saying, and even when I got clean and I worked at 11th step, you know, and I researched a bunch of meditation and tried some meditation back then, but I really wasn't sure what I was doing and tried a bunch of different stuff at the time and even had a sponsor that was really into meditation at one time he was into uh a practice called shambhala meditation which is another just a again a just a different version of meditating you know um i I never he had said he would go on these retreats and stuff and it also asked me to come along but these were always like he would go for like three and four day retreats and like when he went to the shambhala temple like it was like 10 hours of meditation and you know i wasn't meditating at all at that point i'm like dude i can't even do 10 minutes let alone 10 hours like i couldn't imagine sitting somewhere quietly for an hour you know (laughs) it just seemed like that's and to be quite honest if i thought about it like that just seems stupid like that was such a waste of time to sit there quietly for an hour or 10 hours was right. like i got way more practical shit like i got kids and a life and a grass in these mode right. like, i don't have time for this quiet sitting crap like that is for lazy people or something <laughs> you know people that got nothing else going on in their life um because i just wasn't open to the whole thing you know i wasn't i wasn't ready to to be open to that kind of thing right I think so. I couldn't understand meditation either, right? Or the point of it, or or how to why to do it. Even in a twelve step fellowship, where the eleventh step asked me to, you know, seek out a form of meditation and do it on a regular basis for my own well being. Um, but it took me getting to a point where I noticed some patterns in my life of of running back to relationships that were unhealthy, um, and I started to associate the feeling that I got before I ran back, right? The, the emptiness and loneliness and isolation. And, and so I wanted to isolate that feeling and not use it to run back. And so I suggested meditation and I tried that to just sit still with the feeling instead of acting on it. And that's where my meditation practice began to try to 
sit with feelings without feeling the need to act on feelings. Um, and that was my goal. And, and I do think it was very useful for that. Um, some days now I try to use it more in a sense of like clearing my mind and, and not being in 20 different time periods of this week. Like I'm usually thinking about, like I'm already thinking about Tuesday and Friday and next Sunday at the same time. So I try to use it to just be in this moment. Um, but what do you think meditation does for you? Yeah, I think that's actually funny enough. Like that's exactly why I use it now. I don't know that that was, or I don't want to say that's why I use it. That's a bad way to say that. That has been a result of meditating regularly has been that I'm able to stay present in the current moment without getting too far ahead or too far behind or, you know, sort of that thing of while people are talking, I'm already thinking about what I want to say before they're even finished saying what they want to say, you know, but that has been a a consequence of meditation. Not, it was never really a particularly a goal and it's still not really a goal. Um, And so through the practice of mindfulness, I think that's one of the results for me has been that just that. And I don't even know that I realized it for a long time that that's what had happened. But where it started to benefit, you know, especially in my relationship with like my wife or my kids or people that I'm talking to is exactly that. Like I started to notice like, hey, when people were talking to me, like, you know, because I I don't know whether I'm a it's an addict thing or I have ADD or whatever you call it. But like say there's so many times people are talking and I just tune out like whatever they're saying is either unimportant or I don't care. Or, you know, it it just is like, I don't want to talk about this, you know, whatever reason, like, and I'm already thinking, oh, well, later today, the football game's on at 430. Where am I going to be at 430? I got to make sure I'm somewhere I can watch the football game, you know, while somebody's (laughs) telling me about their intimate feelings. Like, that doesn't play out so well. And, you know, again, how I ended up here was like, my wife would be talking to me and she could just see looking at me in my eyes that I was checked out somewhere else. Or, you know, then they do that thing where they throw that. So what do you think about that? And you go, Wait, what? Right, <laughs> like, right. like, oh, shit, I checked out of the last five minutes of that talking, and I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. And then I'm trying to fake through it, you know, like, well, you know, I haven't really thought much about that. Um, you know, and I'll have to think about that a little more and let you know. <laughs> and that's where I see that I definitely could use a more daily practice of meditation because I am there a lot. I have a lot going on in my life right now. And so I'm constantly thinking about all these other pieces that I need to be in place later in this week and I'm not as present. And usually when my kids talk, it's honestly an annoyance because it's like, you're invading what I'm trying to set up for Tuesday, right? <laughs> like it's, it's Saturday, right? What well, I, I should be here with you. And 10 minutes ago. So last night I, I put baby powder in my shoes, you know, I don't want my feet to stink and everything. And I took my shoes off to meditate this morning before we started this. And so some of the powder got on the floor and 10 minutes ago you were talking and I was like, they're going to think we were doing coke in here while we were doing our <laughs> meditation. Like, why am I there? Right. I'm, I want to be here with this. And so, yeah, I, I agree. It does help me with that, but I, I don't practice it well enough. Yeah. And so in my marriage for a long time, like I really took that, like I, uh, I interpreted that as a personal failing, you know mm. what I mean? Like, wow, I really must not care about what this person is saying. And, and, 
And it wasn't just with it was with people at work and everywhere else too. It wasn't like it was just in my marriage. It's with a lot of conversations or even, you know, being in a meeting and someone's talking and, you know, I just zone out and miss half of the meeting because yes. I'm thinking about either what I want to say or what I'm going to share that's going to wow the group or, you know what I mean? Right. What, how what they said is totally wrong and they're just, they don't know what they're talking about, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, I used to talk about my first practices of actual meditation, and I didn't even call it that, was sitting in a meeting and just trying to pay attention and be present in the meeting and listening. And like for me, in the beginning early on, I like meetings where we sit in groups. I don't like when the chairs are in rows Mm. because I can't see the people that are talking. Right. And there's a very just, again, for me, an active part of like I need to look at someone in their face, see their mouth moving to pay attention. Same. I struggle with telephone conversations for that reason, (laughs) because I can't, I need that personal one-on-one engagement with that individual to be connected. You know what I mean? To, to tell my brain like, okay, this is what we need to be focusing on, (laughs) you know? And So sometimes when we're in meetings and we're in rows and I can't see the person that's talking, you know, I just, it's hard for me to pay attention. But in the beginning of recovery, like that was a goal. Like I'm going to sit there in the meeting. I'm going to look at the people that are talking. I'm going to actively engage with them while they're talking. I'm not going to be, which is what drives me nuts with people playing around on their phone and having side conversations and all the other stuff. It's like, how do you, how do you listen? And if you're not here to listen, then what are you doing here? Why don't you just leave? Oh, but now you're on a whole other yeah, topic that I want to vent on. So, you know, that that learning to actively listen was the first part of that. Right. And then once I sort of practiced that skill in meetings, I learned to do it with people individually. Um, and some of that is just learning about yourself. Like, I don't I mean, I'm, there are people and I think my wife is one of them that can talk on the phone and be on the phone for an hour. And for me, a lot of times that just isn't, I can't really feel connected or engaged to who I'm talking to on a phone most of the time. You know, it's just difficult. Billy says this, but we had a 45 minute phone conversation like two nights ago. (laughs) But that was one in the, how long have we known each other? And it's been one. And I've had some, you know, I had some personal (laughs) stuff going on. So I will do it. And I have engaged with people like that, but it's, it's way easier to sit down and and talk to people one on one. I agree. It's just for me is is the easier way to communicate. And you know that so meditation that became a, the, what you were talking about earlier with being able to stay engaged and not giving into my thoughts was a result of meditation that I wasn't even actively shooting for. Like it wasn't a goal. Right. Um, it just became a result of doing it. And I don't even think if I try to like okay, I want to get better at this. I don't think I can get better at it without just doing the meditation. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's just a result of doing it. You know, it just comes along whether you want to or not, it becomes a thing. I actively, I'm with you. I like in a meeting, I generally sit up front and when people from the floor share behind me, I turn around and look at them because if not, I'm probably not listening. Right. (laughs) It's hard enough for me to listen, looking at you and really trying. Like, I need to put effort into that. And I do find regularly meditating makes that effort easier. Um, I have been able to, to have some good phone conversations. I would generally agree with you. I would much rather be in person, but I have found 
through practice that there are ways that I can like assist myself in not being distracted on the phone because I have a tendency to do the same thing that I'm like, Oh, I'm looking at the wall. Now I'm thinking about the wall instead of what the fuck you're saying in my ear. Um, I'm trying to take out the trash. Or right. The right. The dinner while I'm on the phone. Exactly. <laughs> and so I, I do need to, for me, I, I mean, look, I do talk on the phone when I'm doing these other things. Um, but I'm not good at a phone conversation doing that. If I really want to talk on the phone, I got to treat it just like I would anything else. I need to go sit somewhere and not do anything and really be in that conversation in order for it to work. And that's so that's a hilarious result of, you know, step work for me was forever. And I think I almost used to argue with people about this. Like, I thought I was this great, like multitasker in my life about, you know, yeah, I can talk on the phone and cook dinner and take care of my kids and I'm doing all these things and it's all great. And then I realized I was doing all of them, but all of them like shit. And that, you know, <laughs> when I could stop be like, no, it's really important that I just focus on this thing that I'm doing right now. And that has its own detriments. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean? Like sometimes at home when I'm trying to whatever, I'll just keep using the cook dinner analogy. If I'm trying to cook dinner and the kids start talking or the you know wife comes in or the dogs, you know, getting on my nerves, it's. Like I get frustrated. I have to tell them, hey, wait, let me finish what I'm doing because all that happens is I get angry and frustrated and then yeah. I'm yelling at my kids and I'm, you know, pissed off at dinner, you know, like yes. it had something to do right. with it. You and, fucking fish. You know, <laughs> slamming dishes in the sink because, you know, somebody's getting on my nerves because I can't really multitask as great as I thought I could. <laughs> I can't multitask at all. And I will be the first to admit I want to do one thing right at a time, yeah. right? That's my goal. And so just making the grocery list with my wife last night, uh, like three times she tried to change the topic in the middle of it while I'm trying to focus on, okay, what are we having for dinner this week? And I'm like almost yelling at her. I'm like, bro, stop changing the goddamn topic. Like, let's do this first. Then we'll talk about whatever the hell you got. Yeah. I can only do one at a time. Yeah. So, so lately, like with the meditation part, I, and I found this years ago too. Like I, there's free apps. I like apps. It's just easy. Mm-hmm. I'm always have my phone with me so I can throw on, you know, plug for like insight timer is a great one. That's free. Got a bunch of different meditations on it. It's, you they know, should you now pay us. different. Yeah. <laughs> now we need, we want some endorsements. Um, you know, it's free. They have all kinds of different, you can pick different lengths, different topics, different right. things. It's, it's really neat. And I used that for a while. For me personally, I found out that that wasn't so, so great for me. What I really wanted was a consistent practice, you know, because the thing with the insight timer was, I guess, unless you do the paid version, which I didn't want to do, you know, you, you weren't really following a course. It was just sort of a bunch of random meditations and they would all be slightly different in different ways. Um, there would be some that were like chakra type meditations and some that were, more mindfulness and then some that would be you know sort of way more structured where there was talking the entire time and then other ones where there was way more just open space no talking and it just the inconsistency drove my brain crazy (laughs) the other thing i found was that by paying for an app because a lot of them aren't cheap um when i invested 140 bucks into an app that I was way more likely to use it and commit to using it because I had made that financial commitment of like, oh shit, I paid all this money. Now am I really going to waste this money and not use this thing? That it 
in its own way made me commit to that app a little more. That still shocks me because of the, you know, just looking at the research of how many people pay for gym memberships and then never go. I, I'm amazed that that works for you. Well, in my nature, <laughs> I am a very cheap person. So I don't like to pay for things. I will nine times out of 10, and this is terrible to say, but I look at like different trades and different stuff. And I'm like, they charge that much money to do that. Like, I know that person. I know I'm, I, I'm as capable of them as getting this done, <laughs> right. you know, with the advent of like YouTube videos and a little bit of research and a little bit, I'm pretty, you know, mechanically inclined. Like I feel like I can do most things. Um, so I'm really cheap when it comes to paying for stuff. So if I'm going to shell out some money, you know, it's usually got to be worth it, at least in the initial. Now I say all that and I say, yeah, for the last three and a half, four months, I've been paying for a meditation app that I have not used. <laughs> so is that Headspace? No, I so I use Headspace in the past. I really like that one. Um, that one's really good. I switched it up and went to one called um, I changed the name of it. It's from Sam Harris and it's called Waking Up, is the name of the app. Um, and he's just got a different take on meditation. He's sort of become a little bit of a controversial figure for different yeah. reasons. Well, like him, mean, he's an intellectual. He's he's a pretty deep thinking kind of guy, and he practiced all kinds of different meditation. You know, when he was younger, and I don't know. I like his take on meditation. I don't necessarily have to get into or agree with his political views to get what I need out of his meditation apps. <laughs> so. No, I agree with that. I do. I do struggle even listening to him just because of some of his some stuff rubs me a little weird, um, and I don't know what to make of that. I just found out recently that nonprofits can get headspace for free. And so, you know, since I'm associated with a nonprofit, I really need to get on board with letting them know, Hey, do this for us. Uh, It would be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And I say like headspace was one where I loved it and used it. That was the, that was actually the first one that I started with that I paid for and then really committed to and really enjoyed it for a long time. And to be honest, I can't remember exactly why I stopped using it. I know at that time we were traveling around. We had done some traveling around the country. We weren't really exactly established. So we would travel and we would go to a new place and then my schedule would change. And so I'd have to readjust, you know, when I was meditating and my times for doing everything and what my work schedule was. Um, So I'm going to say that's probably what happened as we moved from one place to another. My commitments changed and I just never, it kind of fell out of grace. And now in my life, the act of not meditating is noticeable. Like I didn't do it for 15, 16 years of recovery because I thought it was such a complete waste of time. And then I started doing it for several months at a time. And when I stopped or even had little gaps of like a couple of weeks, I could immediately feel it in some subliminal or some subconscious way, like I noticed it missing how much the effects were. And it wasn't some, I couldn't pinpoint, put a finger right on what the issues were or why things were different or what it was. But I would notice right away, like, man, I feel out of sorts with this and I really need to get back into it. The thing for me is I know like five minutes a day is absolutely nothing out of my day. And I could surely donate five minutes of my day to my well-being by sitting still and meditating, right? And I say, oh, well, that's not significant enough. It won't do anything. When the fact is, it's better than zero minutes a day, and it would absolutely do something, right? Even a minimal something to assist my life. 
but I won't do it because it doesn't seem like it's significant enough. And I'm like, how dumb is that? (laughs) When I sort of have the other problem of, I know it's important. And if I think about it, I will make the time to do it. But what'll happen is so I'll forget to meditate for a day. And then of course that turns into two days or whatever weird reason, you know, I got out of my routine. I'm out of my routine. And then by day four or five, like the idea to meditate doesn't even cross my mind that day until I'm laying in bed at 10 o'clock at night, you know, getting ready to go to sleep. And then I go, well, shit, I didn't meditate today. Right. But if I would just take the time to think about it in my day, you know, I would do it, but I just don't even think about it. Right. So, you know, now I try to keep it just a part of my routine which is what it was for a long time. So when I was doing it on a regular basis, it was like brushing my teeth. Like I got up in the morning and, and I learned this skill. So I had a friend of mine, a person I met through recovery. Um, His name was Yuichi Handa. And he was, he's actually written some books there on uh, Amazon about meditation. And one of them coincidentally, what you were talking about earlier is called eating your emotions, something to that Mm. effect. I can't remember exactly the title, but that's the idea is that you, when you have these, you know, what are considered negative or bad emotions, he tries to phrase it in a way, none of them are really negative or bad. They're just emotions. Right. There's (laughs) ones we don't like, but by sitting with them and being present with them and feeling them and, and sort of stepping into them, you know, it, it helps that whole process. It's, it's a healthier way of dealing with it than trying denial or substitution or, you know, rationalization, like all those other things we want to use to suppress these emotions. Like, no, just, just feel them and, and be present with them and see what that emotion is and what it's telling you and what you need to do with it and and how to react to it. Right. Um, so anyway, he had explained, um, some things about meditation that, you know, years back when he had told me these things, they seemed, you know, sort of irrelevant and almost like something you would hear from some religious person of like, well, that sounds great, you know, for you spiritual people, but for normal (laughs) practical people, that's not practical at all. Um, and, and he had sort of explained to me that, In my day when I'm super busy and I have a hundred things going on and I'm trying to manage all those things, the best thing that I can do for myself is to take that 10 minutes to meditate because that'll help me, you know, manage the rest of the minutes in my day more efficiently. Right. And I guess I had heard that, but I don't know. I guess I didn't believe it. I mean, I would say, oh, yeah, he's smart and I believe it, but I didn't do it. So I guess I didn't really believe it. You know, sort of one of those, we can trick ourselves, right? Um, which reminds me of something else he used to sort of had said to me one time, kind of in a passing comment. And I've always hung on to it and thought about it. It's like, we'll say all the time, like, I know what I need to do, but I'm not doing it. And what he would say is, well, then do you really know what you need to do? Or do you just think you need to do something or you should be doing something? You know, if you're not doing it, then you probably don't know that you need to do it. I definitely want to debate on another podcast whether that has any basis to it. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like it. one of those, yeah, around about like trickery ways of saying, well, do you? Re-? And I, I'm like, I, I think I know. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure. But you, you touched on stuff that definitely sticks out to me. For me, meditation is all about the fact that I kind of believe 
people in the world in general, especially in more Western civilization type ways, we're so busy and so out of touch with our own body, our own feelings, our own emotions, don't even really know when we're hungry or sad or any of these things. We don't even bother to stop to consider what they are or to feel them or to feel the, like we talk about feelings because we intellectualize them and think them, right? But we don't actually feel them, which is where the word feeling came from. Like there's a physical sensation in our body that accompanies a feeling, right? Fear is like in your throat and, you know, sadness might be in your stomach or whatever. Like they all have a place in your, and we're so out of touch with that, that we don't know what the hell to do with it. And I think that's what meditation, why I find it so important is that I need to be in touch with like, what's going on? What am I really feeling? Not what am I thinking about feelings? And you think that's a Western society kind of thing? Or is that just a, because I, I think that too, but I tend to, because my pool of experience with emotional dealings at all is limited to people in recovery. Mm. I have always assimilated that to that's what addicts do, mm. you know? I, so I, I've never sort of done much digging into, is that what we as a Western culture do? I, I've always assimilated it. No, addicts. right. <laughs> uh, and you know, so my thing is definitely arrogance and self-centeredness where I just assume everyone's like me <laughs> and they all go through the same stuff. But I, I would venture to guess, and I don't have any research whatsoever to back this up, but I would venture to guess that as a busy society that, you know, has decided that we're going to be capitalists and, you know, buy everything and, and buy away, shop away our feelings. Uh, I think we have created a, a civilization that is, internet connected, constantly distracted on our phones, trying to keep up with the next pop star that has a million dollars and buy all the stuff they do, the brand names. And I think, yeah, everybody kind of, not everybody, obviously, but a good portion of America buys into, you know, we just want to keep ourselves busy and distracted and not be in touch with ourselves. I, I think it's probably worldwide, but I do believe there's a lot of places where they don't have a capitalist society and maybe there's not so much money and resources. And so they're, maybe they are more in tune with sitting still and, and being with themselves a little more than we are. And I would say if you look at the uh, evidence of the amount of like, say, Adderall prescriptions and the antidepressants and that whole industry of, you know, pharmacopoeia you know this is how we deal with our emotions is you just take a pill to make them go away right i would say that we definitely aren't a culture that practices in in a large scale the healthier ways of dealing with that stuff i think that you know we have a tendency to look for whether it's you know diet pills or antidepressants or whatever it is. It's like, oh, that looks like it's going to take work. Let me just get the easy pill that's going to fix it. And right. I know I have diabetes and I should eat healthy, but that's a pain in the ass. So can't you just give me the anti-diabetes pill and then I can just go eat ice cream again because right. that's way easier and that's how I want to deal with it. And, you know, I see that, I think, with the emotional side of things too in our, you know, therapies and things like that. Um I know at different times for different reasons, you know, we've looked into therapists for our children or for myself or whatever. And I've always tried to make a big point of avoiding therapists that want to dole out pills and medication, obviously, because I'm an addict and I can't take any of that stuff, you know, right in a 
successful manner, or I can't say I can't, it's very difficult. And luckily, thank, you know, God, I haven't been put in a situation where I need to try to take some sort of mind altering substance and manage it on my own. Um, but yeah, the idea that we sit down and feel feelings good or bad, you know, like right. we all want to feel the good ones all the time and we all want to avoid the bad ones all the time. Um, and how we deal with those bad ones, I think is where the meditation comes in. It also helps me how to deal with the good ones. You know, I can get in a euphoric state and make bad choices because oh, yeah. something feels good. <laughs> a little hypomania, you know? I mean, like, oh, this is good. So I more can of it buy must this be new computer. Yeah, right. <laughs> Things yeah. are good. I'll have money, of course. It'll never right. Run. Yeah, absolutely. There's a little, you know, slight mania that goes on that that's not a healthy either. I'm with you. I for the last week I had kind of a, a a little funk, you know, from in my life, and it was just a matter of like reminding myself, hey, you can like operate through this. Uh, feeling that you're not thrilled with, you can just kind of sit in it. You can still get your work done. You can do what needs to be done. And you can know that one day in the near future, it will not be here anymore. And you'll feel some other feeling while you're doing these things. Like it's okay. But I have to remind myself of that because if not, I want to fix it. Oh, I'm feeling funky, man. How can I fix this? Let me, let me text that cute girl at work. Like she'll probably, you know, validate me and fix that feeling real quick. Right. And I, I got to remember, it's all right to just sit there with it. Like, it's not that bad once I delve into it. Thinking about delving into it and sitting with it is awful. But once I truly sit with it, it's like, okay, this is tolerable. Like, I'm not dying, right? It's all right. Yeah, I, and, oh, and some of that's been a result of of step work too is just like hey man sometimes these feelings are telling me something and they're important and i need to look at them and pay attention to them you know my right. my, my reaction to them might be bad but the feeling itself is like an indicator like hey man if i'm feeling you know angry or depressed or whatever sad and for some reason let's stop for a minute and and take a look at that and see well what is really causing this you know right right if you're tired maybe you need sleep if you're hungry possibly it'd be good to eat like the the body feels things to tell us like what is needed uh and i just think we're out of touch with that yeah and well and that's the other funny thing i learned early on as being an addict is it's like sometimes my feelings aren't always facts mm. you know sometimes i just feel a certain way for for no reason but there right. are some healthy things i can do about it and there are some unhealthy things you know so if i get in a like say like a funk and i wake up you know, some days I just wake up and I don't feel good about myself and I don't feel like I'm a good person or, you know, whatever. And there's no main cause for that. But, you know, what I choose to do with it that day, well, I can sit in it for a while and just keep feeling like crap and do nothing. Or I can mm -hmm. remind myself like, hey, man, you know, it's just a day. We just got to get through this day. This is going to pass. It's going to change. You know, what, what things you know, look at some healthy things in my life that are going on that I can say, hey, you know, things aren't quite as bad as I think they are. And finding that balance of like, how much credibility do I give to my feelings to where they don't overtake my life, but then giving them enough credibility to like pay attention and, and make decisions off of them as well. <laughs> right. So I'm curious and to take this in a little different direction, uh, because I I mean, even in a 12-step program where I'm trying to seek a, a spiritual sense of my own morals and values and live in them, 
I completely ignored the meditation piece of that for years, right? For, for many years. And then even now that I know that meditation is hugely valuable to my life, still don't really practice it anywhere near as frequently as I, as I believe would be healthy for me. So in, in again, my self-centeredness thinking that most people are like me, uh, what percentage of the 12 step population do you think overlooks meditation on any regular basis as a part of their their health and well-being 99.5% <laughs> really so i'm yeah. i'm thinking at least like 85 90% <laughs> yeah probably of... a lot i mean i have talked to very few people that meditate on a regular basis there are people that tell you that they meditate and then when you say oh how often do you meditate the answers to that become way sketchy, you know, like I have a guy that, you know, he tells me like, Oh yeah, I meditate. I'm like, Oh yeah. What, you know, what do you do? Well, I don't have an active practice of meditation. I just, you know, and I have a couple minutes in my car to sit there quietly. And I'm like, I don't know if that counts as meditation. You know what I mean? Like maybe it does. (laughs) Is there passive meditation? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, just sitting there for three minutes in my car at a red light constitute meditation. Really? You know, is that really enough? Is that, can I say that I'm meditating if I'm doing that? I mean, I spent two years driving around with the radio completely off in my car, everywhere I drove and justified that as my meditative period. But honestly, looking at it from where I'm at, if I want to get realistic for me, at least I was not actively meditating during that radio off period. I was just rambling my thoughts on and on and on about different stuff. You know, it was like, the car was quiet, but my head wasn't. Yeah. Um, now, I have done meditation practices while driving where I just kind of, you know, go one speed and sit. I won't go around cars. And like, it's very defined rules for it. And I do feel like that was meditative. Um, but just having the radio off didn't really. And I think cut. that's another for me is another reason why just my personal practice i need a sort of guided meditation of Mm. some type because i don't exactly know what i'm doing and and most people that are you know educated in meditation have had some sort of training or some sort of you know formal education in some type of meditation and i've never had that so i use an app as my version of like sort of formal meditation. I mean, I've read books on meditation. I've done some recent, listened to some, you know, podcasts on meditation. I've done a lot of that. But as far as like a formal practice with an instructor, which I think is what it takes, you know, because again, me doing what I want the way I want it, I'll manipulate it into something that's easy and convenient and simple for me, but it doesn't necessarily make it good. I had to laugh when you said most people who are teaching meditation are are trained or have taken a class because I know that, uh, I mean, look, I've read a meditation book, you know, I've done quite a few different meditations, but with my clients as a coping mechanism, I'm teaching them meditation. I'm like, I'm not skilled or trained in this (laughs) at all. And I'm teaching it. So that's an interesting thought. Um, well, maybe that's just opening a door for them to do some exploring up there. Right. So if we, do we believe like, would, would you say that meditation is top five priority of people in recovery for well-being or not for is people? It or should it be? <laughs> should it be? Like, is this oh, of yeah. a top importance in people's life? Will it make that much of a difference to meditate? Yes. 
And I think they're actually, they're doing a bunch of studies on that kind of stuff now. They're doing brain studies yes. and, and all sorts of things that are starting to show some of that. I mean, it was always considered this Eastern practice for so long that we never spent much time in Western society sort of investigating it. I think it got this sort of woo-woo thing. Like, well, that sounds, got some kind of woo-woo right. shit that we don't need to worry about, you know? There's no evidence to show that it works. Well, now we have capabilities to do brain scans, different brain, you know, measurements of different wavelengths and things that are, they're actually seeing some results from meditation. And I think it's still early to say, but at least from the little bit I know about that is, you know, it's obviously, it's like, any religion there's 10 different versions of meditation there are different ways to do it there are some people that want to sit quietly in a room completely devoid of any inputs at all and that's their form of meditation me personally i that doesn't matter to me i can have noise and distractions and things going on around me i can still meditate um because and we've talked about this like i need my meditation needs to be something practical it needs to be something i can do in my everyday life if i put all these crazy conditions on it that make it something that i can only do under these th- right. ideal situations like the likelihood that i'm going to do it becomes less and less and then you can't do it when you need it if you're frustrated at work you can't go you know hide under a couch cushion to get that you know quiet dark place like you you need right. to be able to do this in the moment too right So I guess if people, if we're saying that this is probably, I don't know, top five, top three of importance for well-being, because I agree, the research is out there. It's not like divisive research. Mindfulness is beneficial to your life. Like it's there. They've stated it. Um, But if we consider this such a high priority, why is it so often overlooked by people who are practicing this lifestyle of recovery? Because it takes work, Mm. you know, it's like a healthy diet or going to the gym or, you know, we know that physical health is important. We know that mental health is important. We know that spiritual health is important. Going to meetings, if that's your recovery mode and people still don't do that. Right. And, And it takes work. And so there is a lot of stress. And over the years I've fallen into this, there is a lot of stress when you're trying to have a job and, and, you know, take care of your kids and be in a relationship. And then the dog needs work and somebody's birthday is on Saturday and you're getting pulled in this 27 different directions. I mean, there are things now like, you know, I decided to get up earlier to go work out at the gym. Now some recently I've been doing. So funny enough, like the, the consequence of me getting up in the morning and going to the gym was that I gave up my meditation time because Mm. I had been getting up in the morning to meditate. That was, I was getting up 15 minutes earlier in my day to take, you know, 10 to 15 minutes to meditate every morning. Well, then I decided, well, I really need to work on my physical health, my physical well-being since I'm getting a little older. You know, I had been noticing just that older person, like I'm getting up in the morning and my back hurts. I'm getting up in the morning and it's just so hard to get up and get moving. So the answer to that is to do some more physical activity. So I try to pick up my physical activity in my life. Something's got to give somewhere, man. I only got so many hours of the day. Right. I'm not a person that's, I, I'm not sitting at home for three hours watching TV in my day. Right. So, yeah. you know what I mean? That that time has to come from somewhere. So the consequence of that was meditation. So that's why I had stopped meditating for the last several months. Now what I figured out is, okay, I'm going to build it into my routine on the other side. It's like now 
what my new thing is, all right, I'm going to try to do it when I get home from work every day. I'm going to get home from work. I'm just going to immediately come in, sort of get, make sure everything's settled. And then I'm going to just take that 10 minutes and meditate because it's 10 minutes. Helps me deal with that transition from sort of work to home life. And uh, it's a pretty consistent time. I generally get home from work the same time every day. Right. Um, and for me, consistency is important. Um, but on top of that, it's like, well, I would really like to do yoga. You know, I would really like to get into some sort of yoga practice. I think that's great. I would love to do it. I would really like to take some sort of jujitsu class. I think that would be fun. It's athletic. You know, right. I need more athletic activities in my life. I just don't have the time. Yeah. You know, I don't have the time. So I have to try to prioritize those things. Um, it took me a long time to realize that meditation needed to be a top five priority in my life, you know, because of course there's, you know, recovery and, and the God of my understanding need to be a priority. My wife needs to be a priority. My kids need to be a priority. My home needs to be a priority, Job, you know? Yeah. My job needs to be a priority. So all these things, right you know, quote unquote, need to be a priority because something suffers, you know, what's the old saying, like there's a prize and a price to everything. So there's a price that comes along with meditation. I am giving up that time every day that I could be dedicating to something else. I definitely feel like very similar to what you were talking about. My life has ebbed and flowed, right? I've had periods where I was able to fit yoga in and then other periods where I was like, I can only make it to the gym three times a week. I don't have time to put this yoga thing in here, right? It's got to be the other parts of it. And then I've, I did some, not jujitsu. I did a Wing Chun with a buddy of mine and it was a fun thing to do for a period of time, but then it just wasn't convenient for my life anymore. And it's like, I'd love to do all these things, right? I love the martial arts practice. I love picking up my guitar and playing it from time to time. I never do because there's no time to, right? Um, all these different parts I'd love to, and I almost wonder if maybe it's just accepting that they all have a little bit of time for a time, right? Like, okay, maybe every two years I play the guitar regularly for two months and then that's its time. And then I do two months of yoga after that. And then, uh, but I almost wish meditation could be more of a permanent fixture instead of getting, you know, a two month period every two years. Like, I think it'd be healthier if I could do that. That might be one I don't want to cycle. Like that might be one I'd like to do all the time. Yeah. So if you look at things that are a commitment in your life, say your home group, I know you're pretty dedicated to your home group, making it there on mm -hmm. a regular basis. What is it about that particular commitment that makes it so high priority hmm. versus, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I don't know the answer to that. Right. I don't know how we. Well, it's once a week for one. So that makes it a little easier because I've, Totally showing up for this meditation once a week for months now. Like, I don't have any trouble with that. Um, but on a daily basis, it's really hard for me to add in. There's just so much else going on, man. And, and whether it's giving up sleep to get up earlier to do it. Um, even for a while there, I was getting up an hour earlier than I needed to. And I still wasn't meditating. I was playing on my phone and reading <laughs> the news and shit. Like, it, I don't know why it's a struggle for me. It's hard for me to really want to meditate frequently. Um, even though I know the benefits, even though I know it's honestly simple as hell. I mean, we did it this morning and I laid here on a couch on my back and it was <laughs> awesome, right? To actually physically set it up is difficult. If, if you weren't here as a person for me to commit to meeting on Sunday mornings 
for the last six months or however long we've been back to doing this. I wouldn't meet myself on Sunday mornings and do it. There's weeks we haven't met. I sure as hell didn't sit home, even though I had the time. I wasn't, I was like, ah, not meeting Billy. Don't got to meditate, right? I feel like I'm getting away with one. Mm. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why that is. Yeah. And and so I think to myself, and of course I say these things out loud only to tell them myself as much, but I have at times put actually like reminders into my phone, you know, every day. Right. And then of course what happens is that reminder comes up every day. And if I blow it off three, like to me, it's like three days, once three days in a row, if I blew it off three days in a row, it might as well not be there anymore. Right. Cause then there seems to be just a justification to blow it off from then on out. Right. Um, I have gotten better. I used to hold myself to like the sort of perfect standard of, you know, I need to meditate every single day. And if I don't meditate every single day, I don't do it at all. You know, it's like right. that sort of, and so I would meditate every day and then I'd miss a day and I'd be like, fuck, I missed my streak. I might as well quit now. It's all not worth it. And that's what I would do. And then somewhere along the way, I heard someone and it actually had to do with dieting. They were talking about when they're trying to eat healthier, not a specific diet, but just in trying to eat healthier. Right. This person had presented this idea of like the 80, 20 kind of thing. Like, look, if I eat healthy 80% of the time, and then 20% of the time, you know, I have a piece of cake or I have some ice cream or, you know, one day a week I give myself a break and eat a cheeseburger. You know, that, that's not that's not a bad thing. That's right. a good thing, in fact. And that I need to do that for myself to make the other 80% of the time that I may be eating a salad when a, definitely a cheeseburger would be so much better or a cheesesteak sounds good, you know, Man, but I'll eat should, that salad. We should do a podcast on this 80-20. It's yeah. interesting. We, maybe we could each try it in a different area of our life, right, for like two or three weeks. Uh, do 80-20 with whatever, whether it's food, whether it's working out, or just somehow apply it in our life for a few weeks and then report back. And then also look in to see if there's any research on people living like that. And if it, that could be useful in a lot of areas, man. Yeah, well, and that's so I have actually I apply that principle in a bunch of areas of my yeah. life and the eating healthy is one of them. You know, I eat pretty healthy most of the time, but I give myself that break because, again, if I'm like, I don't eat sugar at all. I don't eat any sugar at all. Right. Well, the first time I eat sugar, I'm like, fuck, that's out the window. Now it doesn't matter. Now I'll just eat whatever I want. And right. and it only takes that one, you know, whether that's an addict thing or a human thing, I don't know. But it only takes that one time of falling short to justify bad decisions then on. You know, like, right. well, I eat cake on Tuesday. So what's it matter for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? I can eat ice cream. I can eat cereal. I can eat all the other stuff that I know I shouldn't eat, but I like. So I'll eat it anyway. Um, so I apply that 80, 20 in a lot of areas of my life. I try to give myself that break. And since I started doing that with meditation, it got a lot easier. So I'm thinking like, I, I totally, I'm down with what you're saying. I, I give myself the leeway to eat, you know, if it's a birthday and there's a cake here, fuck yeah, I'm having a piece of cake. Um, but I would be more interested in this, like, I think that's hard to measure, intellectually right so i could say oh well 80 20 to me means i give myself a break when there's you know sweet food around but maybe i already did that sunday and then maybe it comes again tuesday and then maybe it happens again thursday well now that's not 80 20 anymore right that's a little skewed so i'm almost more interested in like okay four days of healthy eating one day of not 80 percent four fifths right so more along those lines of actually like 
tuning it in to 80 20 and seeing how that operates and works out so yeah that, and that's funny because to me again it's it's more the principle than the specific math because right. exactly what you're saying and it reminds me of um are you familiar with the it was like a canadian sort of bad comedy uh was hilarious called trailer park boys have you ever heard of that yeah. if you get a minute go on youtube watch some trailer park boys I'll give you the disclaimer. They smoke weed and drink and carry on. And it's about these people that live in a trailer park in Canada. And just it's it's hilarious. It's definitely adult humor, but it's hilarious. Anyway, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. They did a comedy show. Uh, it was up in Philly that we went to a bunch of us went to and it was sort of a live comedy skit thing it was hilarious it was definitely worth seeing they're still around their shows are still on they still travel and stuff so if you like that kind of humor about drugs and smoking weed and just trailer park life it's it's good anyway they were doing a show and so they're like all right you know for a fundraiser you know for to to something we're going to, we need to do a 50, 50. So we're going to do a 50, 50 with the audience, you know, where we collect money and 50% we keep 50% goes to you. And then later in the show, something happens, you know, the one guy, you know, something happens and they need to get whatever more weed or whatever it is. And he's like, all right, so uh, the 50, 50 has now changed to a 60, 40, you know, and, and then so later in the show, something else happens. And so, by the end of the show, they're like, all right, well, now our 50-50 is now an 80-20 where, you know, we need to keep 80 and we'll give you 20. And it's like the that's where it goes with me is like that math will get skewed in my head sometimes. So the eating part, like for me, it's come down to like I put a sort of hard one day a week, you know, mm. one day a week I can eat. Cheat day. Uh, yeah, like a, and you can call so for me personally, I don't schedule in a cheat day or anything. I just give myself the luxury of a cheat day right. so that if it comes up fine and if not, that's fine too. Um, but I try to hold to that like, oh, well, you know, Wednesday was Jimmy's birthday and we had cake on Wednesday. So now I'm going to try to not have another cheat day this week, you know, because I you know, that was my day. See, I try to, so I, I generally eat healthy food at breakfast and then, you know, healthy-ish food at lunch. Dinner can rotate. It's mostly on the healthy, you know, non-processed food side. And that's what I mean by healthy. I try not to eat processed food so much. Um, but then like if a dinner is not healthy, I don't feel bad about it because I eat healthier food, breakfast and lunch and most dinners. And then I have a snack almost every night and it's a smaller you know, item, but I don't feel bad about it because I feel like the majority of what I'm putting in is the positive. And so if I want to treat myself, like that's okay. Yeah. And well, there's a huge whole other, whatever, it could be hours of podcasts on, you know, dieting and what nutritional needs are. And I'm just a person that believes every single one of us is different. And so when I talk about what I eat or why I eat it or the way that I eat it, 
I'm trying to just sort of gauge how I feel and what certain foods do to me, the way that I feel when I eat them. You know what I mean? Like, right. in, and in general, how I feel when I eat certain ways. So, you know, there's all the debates about whether you should have carbs, whether you shouldn't have carbs, whether you should have healthy carbs, you yeah. know, obviously we know some stuff is bad, you know, but I try to sort of get away from all the fatty, yeah. fatty, <laughs> not right. fatty, but you know, trends and you know try this try that because they, they definitely aren't the answer <laughs> well they're fun i've done it you know i've done keto for a while and it was cool and i was checking myself and i was in ketosis and right. had bad breath and you know <laughs> wouldn't eat anything fun and you know really got into it for a while and it took a lot of discipline and i did it for a few months but again it just wasn't practical with my lifestyle sustainability so, uh, yeah it was not i mean i was raising three kids and they didn't want to eat fat bombs as a snack at right. nine o'clock at night. You know what I mean? They didn't want to eat this creepy weird ice cream that I was making You know, that wasn't really ice cream, but it was kind of like a close enough substitute to satisfy me. You know, right. it was like they didn't want to do any of that. And I don't know that they should, you know, I don't know True. that I should make them. So swing, swing back to meditation a little from the, the dietary way we're going. I'll save a, Maybe we'll do a diet podcast and I'll save some info for that. Um, so I tend to, I live in a, a world in my head of, you know, there's lots of right ways, but I want to find the rightest right way and live in that. Um, and we talk about that all the time about how crazy I am with it. Um, one thing I've found is that like, I tend to believe that the rightest way of meditation is, you know, sitting on the ground and in meditation position and, you know, trying to still all thinking. Like, I believe that's kind of the rightest meditation, right? I think there's a whole lot of other ones that work and are healthy, but I always try to strive for that. And honestly, I, it makes me not meditate when I try to strive too hard for that because like, I like a guided meditation. It seems a little easier for me some days. Some days I want to lay on my back, right? I, that's comfortable for me. Um, but I will say that even in that, one of my best meditations that I've ever had, and it could have been the emotionally vulnerable place I was in when I did it, it was a guided meditation where I sat in a chair and, and the guidance like guided me to feel my feet and feel my shoes and how I could feel the ground underneath of it being sturdy. And then it went up through the whole body, you know, feel your jeans against your thigh, right? The material, what does it feel like? Is it rough? And I did, I checked in through my whole body, just feeling the, the presence of me there and the sensations around me um, that I'm normally overlooking in a, in a day because they're not important, right? And then at the end, it kind of led to a point of think about what's in this room, the sensations, the way your jeans feel against your leg, your shirt touching your skin. And that's the only real truth in life right now for you right? Anything else you're thinking about your kids that are at home 10 miles away, whatever, that's not real. That doesn't even really exist in your world right now. And I still try to wrap my head around that concept sometimes and see if I really agree with it or not. But that was one of the most powerful meditations I did to show me that like, I think of all kinds of shit that isn't, I guess, according to that meditation, real all the time, right? I'm thinking of stuff that I got it's got nothing to do with where I'm at. And it comes back to 
being in the moment and mindfulness and how powerful that realization was for me in that meditation that I just need to be here with whatever is here. And that is so for me, that is what mindfulness has done for me is I used to think meditation was about stopping all the chaos that goes on in my head. Now what I've learned is that's for me personally, not it at all. You know, when I meditate, I think I told you one time. So on that uh, waking up app, one of the meditations is to sit there and try to experience every sensation that's going on all at once. You know, all those inputs all at once. And it's like you're saying, feel your feet on the floor, feel the weight of your body in the chair, feel the air blowing on your skin, feel, you know, all these things. And what I took away from that was like, that's kind of impossible. I can only, you know, sort of, you can't do like, it's overwhelming. If I lived my life trying to feel every sensation that I was walking through in my life, every moment, I would be completely overwhelmed and paralyzed Absolutely. into doing nothing. <laughs> what I took away from that is my thoughts are exactly the same thing. I have all these thoughts going on all the time. If I'm trying to react and deal and make decisions about all them going on all the time, it almost becomes paralyzing. Right. And that the goal isn't to stop the thoughts. I don't get to stop the wind from blowing across my skin. I don't get to stop the floor from, you know, my feet from having feeling on the floor. Those things are always still there. I just have a choice on whether I want to react to them or not, what I want to do with those feelings, how much attention I want to pay to them. And so my thoughts become the same thing. Like I have a choice, hmm. you know, on, on what I decide to do with the thoughts that are going on in my head. Right. And sometimes by meditating, I recognize that and take ownership of that is, oh, this is just a thought. Let me just let it go. Cause that's not what I'm doing right now. So in psychology, there's a, a big principle of like how awful of eyewitnesses we, we really are <laughs> as humans because of the same principle that we have so many thousands and possibly even millions of inputs coming in at every second and we can't take it all in. So our brain is wired to pick out what's important, right? Like this room has so many different colors that we're sitting in right now and pictures and all that. And when we leave here, I couldn't tell you none of that shit because I've been looking at you the whole time, right? right? So yeah, we do pick out what matters and, and bring that to the surface and kind of suppress all the other stuff. And I liked how you put that about the meditation, like maybe bring the relevant thought to the surface and like suppress all the cluttering thoughts about Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and what time I got to get up this week and where I got to be at what like those can be suppressed right now because that's not what I'm doing right now. And that's where my anxiety can come from most of the time. Sunday night, I'm thinking about having to get up early six days this week and all the different places I got to be. And I can't possibly do that Sunday night. My brain is trying to accomplish something that it can't do. Right. I can't be up early six days on Sunday night. I can only be at home Sunday night and that's all I got to do. And then I got to get up early Monday. That's it. And that's that goal of being present in the present moment. Right. You know, this is what's in front of me right now doing this podcast. I'm sitting here talking, you know, this is what I'm doing right this minute. I have, you know, a bunch of things I'm going to do when I leave here and a whole plan of things. And if I let myself run that direction, which I can, and I used to, I used to think that wasn't a choice that I was some sort of victim of my thinking and that meditation, if I meditated enough and practice hard enough, I could stop that from happening. Right. You don't get to stop it, you know, or I don't know, as far as my 
experience. Right. Like I don't get to stop that. What I get to do is sort of, I'll use the word compartmentalize or whatever, but it's like, if that thought comes up to just go, no, we're not, that's not right now. Let's let that go, you know, and through meditation, you know, I've learned to do that. And and some of that practice has been while I'm sitting there meditating in the morning, thinking of the 10 other things that I could be doing with that 10 minutes and how it's going to make me late for work. And what if I run into traffic while I'm trying to get out the door and, you know, I need to make dinner and I need to get here. All the other things that that 10 minutes to me seems so valuable for, but I still sit there and meditate and think, you know, that stuff will get done. It'll have its time. It'll have its place. I don't need to react to those feelings or right. those thoughts. They're not feelings. I don't need to react to those thoughts or feelings. And so, you know, by continually practicing that in meditation, it gets easier to do on a daily basis. You know, <laughs> in the beginning of meditation, I mean, I can almost remember like literally sitting on my hands and forcing myself to sit there for that 10 minutes, you know, like mm -hmm. it seemed excruciatingly difficult to do. Right. With, with you saying that I am totally my next meditation, I'm picture, I'm going to visualize my thoughts, right? I'm going to visualize my brain as like a smartphone screen. And every time a thought pops up, it's like a text notification or a Facebook notification. And I'm just going to swipe them out. Yeah. I don't want them. I'm like, I totally could visualize that during meditation. Some of the practices and it's, you know, I've, it was on both the meditation apps that I use the, the Andy Pudicombe one and the Sam Harris one, both of them had a practice of when you're sitting there meditating, you know, you're just, you're just observing, you're just becoming an observer right. of your thoughts. And when they pop up, just put it in a category. Is this a thought? Is this a feeling? And then just identify it that way. Oh, this is a thought. And you just let it go. Oh, right. this is a feeling. And then you just let it go. And it's sort of almost that same. I, I picture almost the same thing. Like I picture it, you know, in my little uh, cheesy sort of way is like almost like in a cloud bubble. Like, oh, this is a thought in a cloud. And then it right. just kind of floats away, you know, and it, it doesn't need to. I don't need to do anything with it. It's just a thought that I can just let go of. And then I feel like if it's important, it'll come back to me later. I definitely need to like coin and trademark this smartphone meditation before somebody else does. It sounds cool. Um, maybe some of the the Starbucks chicks will buy into it and I'll be rich or something. Well, and to steal another thing from the Andy Pudicombe, he's got a little animation on there that shows, you know, the idea was uh, there's all this traffic going on all the time. And in our brain, and that's our thoughts and stuff racing around in our right. head. It's like being in the middle of a busy highway. And if I'm not meditating on a daily basis, what I'm generally doing is standing right in the middle of all that traffic and trying to be some sort of traffic director on where mm. this thought needs to go and what I need to do with this idea and where that needs and where how to manage this thing. Whereas when I'm meditating, what I'm trying to do is sort of get on the side of the road and just observe all that traffic going by. Right. I'm not stopping the traffic. I'm not reducing the congestion at all. I'm just getting out of the middle of trying to be the manager or traffic director of all those thoughts. Yeah, another two more actually positives that I heard uh, to help with meditating. One was picturing like a super bouncy ball in your head. And that's kind of representing your thoughts bouncing all over the place and, and flying. And you sort of just sort of want to hold that ball still in the middle of your brain. 
Um, and one of the other ones I really liked was it talked about when you have a thought, you are actually being two people. You are the talker and the listener, right? And so it said during meditation to actively attempt to only be the listener. And then the thoughts just kind of come and go if they want, but you're only listening. You're not hmm. continuing the thought process as the talker. And I thought that was helpful for me at one point in time yeah. to hear that. At at the risk of going any longer, we are already like an hour and 15 minutes. And I can't imagine anybody would listen to this for more than like three. Uh, <laughs> we should probably cut this off, though. Okay. I just want to throw out one more oh, yeah. thing. So. Sure. And this will be quick, but for me, the the regular practice of meditation, it was like just one day I woke up and said, I'm just going to meditate every day. So to, you know, I took some information that I read from uh, my friend Yuichi Handa, who it's in his book about, uh, it was a Japanese practice. The idea, I can't remember the exact name of it, but the idea is that sometimes, you know, to get from a to B, we can do like A1, A2, A3, A4, A5. So if my goal is to meditate for 10 minutes every day, that seems like a big goal to try mm. to achieve. But, you know, I can take baby incremental steps to get there. And one of those increment, this, so for me, this is how this worked out was um, I said, okay, well, I want to meditate in the morning, you know, every day. So, that seems hard to do. But what I can do right now is try to get up in my morning 15 minutes earlier every morning. I'm going to start there. Right. So then for like two weeks, I just set my alarm for 15 minutes earlier and I just got up 15 minutes earlier. And that was it. That's all I did. And I said, okay, now, you know, I'm going to find some sort of, you know, time where I can just kind of sit and have that 10 minutes of doing nothing where that 10 minutes isn't filled with making breakfast or brushing my teeth or navigating kids or whatever. I need to make 10 minutes of where I just do nothing in the morning. And so then I incrementally stepped up, right? I'm getting up 15 minutes earlier. I'm finding 10 minutes in that time of doing nothing, you know, and then it incremented up. All right. Now I have a meditation thing that I'm going to do. I'm just going to sit there and listen to some music. I'm not going to meditate. I'm just going to sit there and listen. And incrementally, you know, over a couple of weeks, I could put in these baby steps that were totally achievable and keep me moving on a positive path, but that build to where I want to get to. And that seemed more achievable than I'm going to meditate for 10 or 15 minutes every day. When I originally started meditating, I wanted to meditate for 20 minutes every sitting. And I started with five and then after a couple of days of doing five, it went to six and I truly went up one minute at a time until I got to 20. Um, and I think I might even went to 25 for a while, but yeah, very, very similar idea of just adding a little bit each time. If you meditate for three minutes today and then three minutes tomorrow, and then one day, maybe you want to do four, right? Like it's just a, a little bit better than the last one. Um, another psychological principle where they reward, you know, behavior that is, close to what they're trying to get out of like when they're training animals you know if you want an animal to flip and the first thing he does is jump you start rewarding jumping but then you only reward the ones where he you know partially flips and like you get closer each time you know approximately uh closer to your end goal but you have to start somewhere you can't just make a dog flip the first time and to reward him or you'll never get it right and i need to be practical about my approach too you know like 
like I can say my goal is to meditate for an hour every day, but in my life right now, that is probably impractical. I mean, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but again, there's a consequence that would come along with me giving up that hour. I'll do it when I sleep. Yeah. Yeah. An hour a day when I sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, so I need to be practical about my goals and, and try to, you know, that's where sort of having people in my recovery support network, people that I admire can kind of help me come up with realistic goals right. and realistic things and not hold myself to such a standard that's, you know, such a standard that's impossible to achieve. So then I'm going to fail. So why try anyway? You know, <laughs> right. Now we're turning into a phone call for my mom where she says she's done talking and then we talk for another 20 minutes. Yeah, so. <laughs> so I think uh, you're capable as a listener of leaving a message or, or writing a message to us. Uh, so if you have thoughts on meditation, please feel free to share. We're always interested in other people's thoughts and ideas. Uh, and, you know, and I would like to say if anyone's interested in uh, actually listening to this and submitting questions or comments or topics for ideas or has any interest in coming on as a speaker, we may, you know, who knows, we may have guests at some point. We're pretty open to where this goes and what we kind of do with it. We just want to keep it interesting and topical and fun. Um, so, yeah, reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, no promises, but we're willing to, you know, if we get enough questions and things, we may do a question and answer thing later or who knows what. So. Yeah. Thank you for listening. That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.